Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. It is an honor to be in this house today and behind this pulpit and to be preaching to this congregation. I want to ask you, if you will, to join me in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to read one verse there. And then I will read 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2 and ask the Lord to just touch our hearts together. Amen. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 11, a very familiar passage of scripture. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Paul said... To his protege in the gospel in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 2. This is one generation speaking to another generation. One generation speaking to another generation about yet another generation. He said, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Paul is saying, Timothy, what I have entrusted to you, I'm asking you, I am asking you to commit that same thing to the generation that you will have an effect on. And with the help of the Lord, I want to speak to you this morning from this thought, the community of God. I'm thankful to be a part of the community of God. We can't even practice the principle of the Lord's prayer without first launching into our Father, which art in heaven. Amen. Our Father reminds us that we are a part of something larger than us. I'm thankful for the family of God. Amen. I want to just say it this way. I'm thankful for the family of God, warts and all. Amen. The family of God's not perfect. This is not a museum uh, of perfection, but I'm thankful for the family of God. Sometimes we're up, sometimes we're down, sometimes everything's smooth, and sometimes it's not. But I would rather still be a part of the community of God. You may be seated, and God bless you, and thank you for your attention to the Word and your participation in praise and worship today. I regularly thank the Lord, not just in private prayer, but I often thank the Lord for my heritage as well. Thankful to be raised in church in a home that cultivated godly principles. My mother and my father were my heroes, but I would have to say, and they would want me to say, that they were not perfect. And so even in their absence, I think they would be uncomfortable if I tried to convey anything less than that. However, they did raise us with a central compass of spiritual principles. And I'm very, very appreciative of that. In the big picture, my childhood had very few concerns. 
I don't think that we were wealthy, but I didn't know that when we were growing up. I didn't know if we were up or down because our parents didn't sit around and talk about all those ills or nuances of life. My mother, our mother was a very savvy shopper, and so we always wore nice clothes because she knew how to carefully shop for sales. And uh, when we, my wife and I were first married, my mother would share with her. She said, you know, you can, you can buy really nice clothes, and you can wear nice clothes, because when certain stores put sales on, they really mean it. And that's the truth. And, uh, and so you can, if you're careful, if you're, if you're conscientious, and uh, you, you can have nice things and not have to pay a lot of money for them. We always had food. Uh, we always had plenty of food. My father grew a garden in my growing up years. And, and uh, so we always, you know, I, it, probably when I was a teenager, I just thought he grew a garden because he loved to garden. The older I get, I realize that they put up so many things that they grew in the garden. They were probably just putting up for rainy days. And the freezer was full. And uh, I'm thankful for that. Nevertheless, when I was a child, I was no different than anyone that's sitting in this building today. My thinking and my mental capacities or capabilities were immature. I was a child. And so when I was a child, I thought like a child. I acted like a child. My understanding and my ability to comprehend um, the true scope of life was very limited. It was very childish or very childlike. My expectations as a child were probably very similar to those of you who are sitting here today, the children or those that have grown past this. My expectations were very centered around me. Amen. It was all about me. And life for you was all about you. And so from the vantage point of our home, Someone else fed me, clothed me, and provided for my every need. And in all honesty, they provided for a lot of my wants. It wasn't just things that I needed. As a child, I depended on my parents and other family members to be there. It may sound crass or even uncouth, but in many respects, I lived off of the good nature of others and the things that they could provide for me and the things that they could do for me. I never had to worry about the weather, never dawned on me about an air conditioner or a heater. I just knew that in the summertime our house was cool and in the wintertime it was warm. And I didn't have to worry about any of those things. I was never called on to meet my own thirst or to meet my own need for hunger. All of those things as a child were taken care of for me. Amen. Again, I don't want to portray that I was raised in a crystal palace or that was from some royal bloodline whatsoever. We just had a father that wasn't lazy and a mother that was conscientious, and I appreciate that. However, when I became a man, life called on me to think differently. Life demanded of me to think differently. Shortly after high school, I was married And so the decisions that I was making now were taking me to a different place in life. It was a different level. My thinking had to change, and my understanding had to change. 
I was the youngest. My middle brother's here today. I didn't know he was going to be here this morning. As the head deacon, I should have known he was going to be here, but nevertheless, I'm glad he's here. But I was the youngest of the three of our uh, of my siblings. My older brothers think that I could have been a little bit small, spoiled. I think that's just a rumor, but nevertheless, my, our mother did a lot for us. I, she, she, if there, a shirt was to be ironed, she ironed shirts. As a matter of fact, I never ironed a shirt until after I had married, and uh, and I, I was out of town preaching, and I was with a friend, a cousin, actually. We were, and it just dawned on me when I pulled my shirt out of that garment bag, and it looked like I had slept in it. What are we going to do from here? And uh, here we were, raised in a very similar home atmosphere. Neither one of us had ever ironed anything. And uh, so he had the genius idea, we'll just iron this panel, and we'll iron this panel, and just don't take our coat off. And so that's how we got through, <laughs> that's how we got through life. Life was demanding us. We were, we were slipping into manhood. We were, we were both newly married and and so now our thinking had to change. Our understanding had to change because somebody wasn't there to pick up every little thing. In truth, many things had to change. I remember uh, many years ago, Brother Paul Mooney was preaching a message at the campground. And he said that when he was a young man, he had gone to visit somebody, gone to eat dinner with maybe somebody he went to school with or something. And uh, he said when they sat down, the the mother of that particular family had boiled or made some ears corn on the cob. And he said, so they had a big stick of butter in a butter dish. And he said, they just took that whole cob and they just rolled it across the top of that stick of butter. And he said, we had never been allowed to do anything like that. He said, that was just the coolest thing in all the world. And do uh, you just take that whole corn cob and roll it on that whole stick of butter and so the next time his mother served corn on the cob, he picked up that corn cob and he set it on that whole stick of butter and he found out in short succession that that was not going to be allowed in the Mooney household. And so he said, it was a conscious thought. He said that it was so cool to him as a kid. He says, but when I get married, when I get married, I'm going to eat corn on the cob like I want to. So he said the first time that they had corn on the cob after he and Sister Mooney got married, he opened that stick of butter and started rolling that whole corn cob on that. And she said, what in the world are you doing? You're not going to do that. And he said, I didn't realize I had married my mother. <laughs> Amen. Sometimes you just have to put away childish things. Sometimes you're just forced Life calls on us, demands of us to put away child, childish things. Life, manhood, adulthood force me to broaden the prism through which I observe life. In short, my thinking and my understanding and my expectations, it had to come in alignment. It had to come in alignment with my age, but it also had to come in alignment with my station in life. And so life was demanding of me some maturity. The psalmist David said in 62 and 5 and 6, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. David said, he said, my expectation is from him. I have a different measuring stick now. I, I have something different by which I have to 
measure not only my todays, but I have to measure my tomorrows. We see this, this shift in the maturity of the psalmist David because in verse number 6, he says, we see this shift in his heart and in his mind. In verse number 2, let me go back there in Psalm 62 and 2, David said, I shall not be greatly moved. I shall not be greatly moved. Amen. However, when we get down to verse number 6, he's matured a little bit. And he said, I shall not be moved. At first, I'm growing. I may not be greatly moved, but I'm growing in him. And now I shall not be moved. When we are young or younger, a lot of things in life can trouble us. But the longer you live, you realize that some things, not everything, but some things will work themselves out. And you're not nearly as apt to get upset in some later station in life than perhaps you were when you were younger. I think the greater realization that God was his fortress, amen, brought that greater calmness in his life. When he realized that God is indeed the foundation, at first I'm not greatly moved but now the more I rely on him, I shall not be moved. He didn't depend on himself and he didn't depend on his own resources because David had become the man that placed all of his trust in his almighty God. He realized that his very life depended upon his faithfulness to God. However, David wasn't willing to see this for himself alone. He wasn't willing to just get this as a personal revelation and then keep this to himself. In verse number 8, the Bible says that David exhorted the people with him to see God differently. Here's what he writes. I mean, he said, trust in him at all times. You people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Hallelujah. Aren't you thankful for people that have already walked a few miles down the road and we don't all have to learn the same lessons again and again and again and again. There's voices ahead of us. There is this community of God that has created a path that we don't all have to step in the same pothole. We don't all have to make the same mistakes. We don't all have to fall at the same place in the, in the path. Amen. To be sure, David depended upon the prayers of others. He, like many others in Scripture, but certainly like the Apostle Paul, wasn't afraid to lift his hand and say, pray for me. That's not a sign of weakness that we would ask somebody to pray for us when we ask at the end of a service, if God, you have a need in your life and you need to come down to the front. There should be no shame in the heart of a saint. Amen. For fear of what somebody else is going to think. Hallelujah. I said a moment ago, this is not a museum. This is a place where we come to for healing. This is where we come. Paul and David were men that were not afraid to, afraid to say, I need you to pray for me. These men realized the value of community. They realized the value of having someone else in their life. Times of waiting. Oh, we've all been there. Those seasons that, that, that we're just seems like our life, and maybe it's beyond seeming like, Perhaps it is that our life is in a holding pattern. It can be difficult 
in those moments to wholly, fully depend on God. It's a difficult truth, really, and it really is for all of us to learn that God's delays are not God's denials. When we think we're ready and God knows we're not, He's going to hold us until we are. In those moments of time, we need to rely on the community around us. Amen. Those that can pray for us because the devil could use our impatience to lead us down not only a dangerous but a distract, a destructive detour. And so I say, Lord, thank you for the people in my life that help keep me balanced. Thank you for those that, that are there. They just surround me. They create a cushion that keeps me alive. And so I've got to understand that God loved me enough to place me in the community called the church. I'm so thankful for the church. I just don't know what I would do without the church. I don't know where I would be without the church. I, I, I feel sorry for people that can only see the negative. I feel sorry for people that can only see the wrong. I feel sorry for those that have gotten so jaded by the things of life that they just come and find out every little thing that's gone wrong. I'm going to tell you, for everything that's gone wrong, I can give you a list of things that have gone right. Amen. And so I say thank you Lord. Thank you Lord. Thank you Lord for the hope that the church brings to me. It is time to raise our expectations. David said in the 37th Psalm in verse 4, delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee he, he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. When we think about the children of Israel and we think about their historical journey, for 40 years they wandered in the wilderness. For 40 years they were living on manna and water and quail when they could have been living on milk and honey. There was a promise that was made to them, a promise made to generations before them, but somehow in their unbelief, in their unbelief, they were not willing to possess what God was wanting them to have. They missed the message that God was trying to send them. So they focused more on the enemy. They focused more on the giants. We are like grasshoppers. Do you realize that while they were saying, we are like grasshoppers alongside those giants, that there were two men that were shouldering grapes that had to be carried on the backs of men. Amen. They could not see the good because it was all standing in the shadow of the bad. I will tell you today that I want to keep my eye on the milk and the honey. I want to keep my eye on the promises of God that are yea and amen. I'm not ignoring the fact that the giants were there. We're not ignoring the fact that there were cities that had to be taken. But he said, I'm going to give it to you little and by little. I'm going to give it to you here a little and there a little. But you're going to live live a victorious life but as an end result of their inability to see the big picture they lost an entire generation to unbelief they began to realize that they needed to change somebody said we've got to do things different however real change is not going to happen until we raise our sights real change is not going to happen until there is a hunger in our heart for more Amen. We have to follow that desire for more with discipline. We've got to follow that desire for more with determination. Anybody can get stirred in a service. 
or anybody can get stirred in a meeting, but we've got to be moved. Amen. Moved with a hunger and moved with discipline and moved with determination. We need this sense of community to challenge me. I need, I will just say specifically, that I need this sense of community to challenge me to be more for God. I will tell you what you do for me every week, week in and week out. You challenge me to be a better preacher. You challenge me to be a better pastor. No, that doesn't. That challenge doesn't come to me by a text message. That challenge doesn't come to me by an email. That challenge doesn't come to me because you made a phone call. That challenge comes to me because of your faithfulness and your, your, your loyalty to this house. I know that you're coming and I know that when you get here, I want you to be fed. And I want to make sure that there is meat on the table, not just a little gravy and not just a little toast and hope that we can get through. And so the community of God coming in with a sense of expectation, it challenges me to dig deeper into the book. It challenges me to linger longer in prayer. It challenges me to, to, to study more. It challenges me to be more sensitive to the Spirit of God. And so I need you to challenge me to become more. But I also pray and I believe that you need me to challenge you to become more and want more of God. And so in this ebb and flow, in this ebb and flow, we realize that we need one another. I want to keep digging. I want to keep pressing. I want to keep reaching. I don't want to just reheat and rehash, but I say, Lord, let me see your word with a fresh anointing and with a fresh touch. Hallelujah. And the sooner that we all realize this, amen, the better off all of us are going to be because we come with a great and a greater expectation. I began today by thanking the Lord for the heritage that I have in the church. I talked a moment ago about the godly influences in my life, not just my parents, but I'm thankful for the godly influences that were all around me. They were wonderful people that were living for God, and they were emulating and, and exampling what it was like to be a child of God. Amen. It's more than just a friend and family issue. It is a biblical principle. And that takes me to the second of our verses of our text today. And that is what Paul said to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2 and 2. And the things that thou hast heard of, of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. We are accustomed today to a, a phrase or to paying it ahead or, or paying something ahead. It's not, it's not uncommon for someone to be in a, a drive-through perhaps of a, a Starbucks or some other restaurant and they just say, I want to pay for the person behind me. And when those things start, we sometimes see these uh, things publicized about how long that can last in the course of a day, one person buying somebody a cup of coffee or a meal, it can last for several hours because it just generates something in the heart of someone else. It probably
probably, amen, it, it, it's such a warm feeling, especially in the society in which we live. We decide that we're just going to pay that forward. Somebody bless me. I'm going to bless somebody else. And that person says, I want to do that again. I want to bless them. And this is what Paul is saying. He said, Timothy, I want you to take what you received from me and I want you to put that in the heart of others. And here's what's going to happen. They are going to put it in the heart of others as well. Hallelujah. And that's why, amen, I want to use this this morning to challenge your heart. I want to use this to say, to say what you know, don't let it die there. What you know, share it with others and let the Spirit of God touch their heart like God has touched you. Amen. I want to share with you today something I read this week. I, I read this actually a, a book that was written by a close friend of mine. And, and I, just, I just share this. I'm going to read it verbatim here. He says, my grandfather, Turner Hubble Gleason, is, a, is famous, he said. My father is famous in our family. Not a word usually, loosely used here. My grandfather, Turner Hubble Gleason, is famous in our family. But not because he was a classical performer or an actor and a singer before he was saved. He isn't famous among us while in, while, because while in art school in Minneapolis before the turn of the 20th century, he painted a charcoal sketch of Chief Ogallala Fire who fought at Little Bighorn. He isn't famous because he traveled uh, with a national itinerant tent revival evangelist and opened the service in concert with his melodic yet booming baritone voice. He isn't famous because he operated the elevator in Oregon City, Oregon, that connected, connected the upper city with the lower city. He isn't famous because he virtually knew everyone in that town. He isn't famous because Oregon City actually named a street after him. He isn't famous because he died from a brain hemorrhage at the age of 93 without ever having spent one sick day in his life. But he is famous. He is famous in his family because during the Great Depression, he received a certified letter informing him that he was the benefactor of a four point three million dollar estate I just want to remind you that the setting was the Great Depression that in the era of the Great Depression he was the benefactor of four point three a four point three million dollar estate but there was a catch he the catch was that he would have to move to England to collect the payout because that was the prescribed law there was it was there was it was a no-brainer decision but not really as we may think, he was raising eight children in a house whose backyard joined the backyard of their church. The entire family, his entire family was involved in that congregation. He was not only the pastor's best friend, but he was the pastor's brother-in-law. He led the worship services and his wife was the pianist. Their children all played instruments in the church. It was a good church, and all eight of his children were headed in the right direction. He tried to determine if there was a suitable congregation in London where he felt like he could replace his home church and plug his family into. While the discovery was difficult, 
he found none. And so when he found that there was no church on the other end, that he could replicate the same thing he had at home, he wrote a letter back to the law firm releasing them to pass that inheritance down to the next one in line. Now there may be many people that were calling him a fool. There might even be people today that think that was a foolish move to turn down a $4.3 million estate during the Great Depression. Amen. But this man, he was anything but a fool. Amen. This man, when he wrote that letter, when he signed that letter and sent it to London, he had no idea the ramifications of what God was going to unleash in his family's lineage. Amen. He was not a fool. That decision was made, that decision was the decision that made him famous in his family. His legacy now includes over 150 direct descendants. 23 of that 150 are credentialed ministers of the gospel, two Bible college presidents, missionaries, evangelists, and pastors, and organizations leaders that number now exceed amen the numbers now exceed 150 apostolic Christians reaching into its sixth generation hallelujah I'm going to tell you that family fame is attainable and it's not that difficult but you got to build the right lifeline amen you got to build on the right foundation and you got to keep Jesus Christ the closest to you <laughs> hallelujah somebody might have thought oh what are you thinking to turn down $4.3 million but he looked at those eight children involved in church he looked at his wife on the piano he looked at his relationship his backyard joined the backyard of the church ladies and gentlemen today I'm going to tell you regardless of what the enemy may plant in your head you need the church you need the community of God your children need the church and your grandchildren need the church Oh, help us not to say, I'll get there if I can. I'll be there if it's convenient. I'll participate if I like the song. I'll participate if I like the preacher. No, no, no. We need the community of God. We need to pay forward what God is doing in our lives. And in doing so, and in doing so, you have no idea how far that seed will reach. The grandson that wrote this that I just shared with you is none other than Brother Stan Gleason, one of our assistant general superintendents of the United Pentecostal Church today. Amen. I would have just I would just imagine they're forever thankful that their feet stayed on the U.S. soil. Amen. Because God was wanting to do something with them here. I'll ask our musicians to come, if you will. Someone, somewhere had to realize there's more critical things than money, more critical things than fame, more critical things than fortune. They understood the value of leaving something behind. Oh, I cannot ever get through it each year reading through the scripture and even other times that I visit those passages of scripture where that Levitical law it commissions and it commands the owners of that field 
Don't reap the corners. Don't get everything out of the corners. It commissions and commands those that are pulling the figs from the tree. Don't get every fig that's there. Leave some behind. Leave something for another generation. Leave something for another less fortunate person that's going to come along beside. Oh, we read about it in the book of Ruth. We understand if you know the book of Ruth and, and the, the story, then you understand it in its context. But, oh, it was, it was a powerful command for Boaz to say, you need to drop some of this grain, handfuls. We're not asking you to be careless. We're asking you to be purposeful. <laughs> Leave handfuls of purpose. Somebody like Judas could say, oh, what a waste. No. No, they're thinking about somebody they may never meet. Somebody they may never shake their hands. we got to be willing to make some self-sacrifice. When you think about sacrificing for others, my mind was, was, uh, was quickened to an illustration I read many, many years ago. I'd actually forgotten about this. And late last night I was reading something to come across this. I want to share this with you. When you think about the monarch butterfly, these small, whimsical creatures are so much more than just a thing of beauty. Perhaps, perhaps, they are some of the greatest purveyors of truth on the planet, at least in the context of what I'm trying to convey this morning. These beautiful creatures bless our gardens every summer. Every autumn, millions of monarch butterflies from all over eastern United States and Canada migrate thousands of miles to a small handful of sites in Mexico. This is where they will rest for the winter. And then in spring, they will begin their return trip back north. However, the part of the story that is truly amazing to me is this. And that is the fact that no individual monarch butterfly ever makes the journey all the way to Mexico and back. A butterfly that leaves the Adirondack Mountains of New York will fly all the way to Mexico and spend the winter. And in March, when they begin their trip northward, they will begin laying eggs in the milkweed of Texas and some of the other weeds and bushes in Florida, and there they will die. Amen. Those beautiful butterflies will continue northward, laying eggs along the way, some of them, maybe three or four generations removed from the original, will make it back to where they began. They know when they leave home, we're not coming back. They know when we leave, this will be the last time we'll ever see the beauty of these majestic mountains. But we're not going to leave bitter. We're going to spend our summer in Mexico, but we're going to lay eggs all the way home. I may not see them again, but there'll be another generation that will. Amen. I may not see them again, but there'll be another generation that will. One lady said, these monarchs always migrate in community. And depend on each other 
Although a single monarch may never make it from New York to Mexico or from Mexico back, it's next generation. It's the next generation. That's who will complete the trip. David said, when Nathan told him, you can't build the temple. You're a bloody man. David could have folded his Bible. David could have taken all of his wares and he could have moved into a cave and died a bitter man. But David said, well, I may not be able to build the temple, but I've got a lot of connections. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life gathering material for another generation. And they're going to build it. And they're going to do it. <clears throat> I'm thankful for the family of God. We are blessed today. Amen. We're blessed today. And here's the word for the church. No one completes the journey alone. Amen. It's only as we work together as a community that God will fulfill and complete the whole work. I, I know that we like to think about heaven and, and its biblical descriptions. And, but I, I tell you, heaven's going to be so much more than just what we can think. Heaven is going to be the ability to see the completion of a lot of things. Amen. There are people, I'll ask you to stand with me this morning. There are people that died before they saw the fulfillment of a promise. But they're going to see the fulfillment of that promise in heaven. And I believe the fulfillment of that promise is going to make a street of gold pale in comparison. <laughs> I believe that answered prayer is just going to be anything, or that gate of pearl won't be anything upside that answered prayer. Oh, no. Amen. I'm thankful for the community of God. Let's worship Him together. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.